Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of The World of Percy Jackson. Since the intro doesn't really count as a, you know, a episode, it counts more like a prologue of a book. So, yeah, and today we're going to read chapters 3 and 4 of Percy Jackson The Lightning Thief. And a quick summary of the previous chapters uh, Percy recently, uh, killed a monster with a pen, and, uh, he, he just got expelled from his, uh, academy because he threw one of the, um, one of his classmates into a fountain, and, uh, he now left his best friend alone in, uh, and just ran off, so, yeah, that's where we are right now, and without further ado, let's on with the show. Chapter 3. Grover unexpectedly loses his pants. Confession time. I ditched Grover as soon as we got to the bus terminal. I know, I know, it was rude. But Grover was freaking me out, looking at me like I was a dead man, muttering, why does this always happen? And why does it always have to be sixth grade? Whenever he got upset, Grover's bladder acted up. So I wasn't surprised when as soon as we got off the bus, he made me promise to wait for him then made a beeline for the restroom. Instead of waiting, I got my suitcase, slipped outside, and caught the first taxi uptown. East 104th and 1st, I told the driver. A word about my mother before you meet her. Her name is Sally Jackson, and she's the best person in the world, which just proves my theory that the best people in the world have the rottenest luck. Her own parents died in a plane crash when she was five, and she was raised by an uncle who didn't care much about her. She wanted to be a novelist, so she spent high school working in, to, to save enough money for college with a good creative writing program. Then her uncle got cancer, and she, got, and she had to quit school her senior year to take care of him. After he died, she was left with no money, no family, and no diploma. The only good break she ever got was meeting my dad. I don't have any memories of him, just this sort of warm glow. Maybe the bear's trace of his smile. My mom doesn't like to talk about him because it makes her sad. She has no pictures. See, they weren't married. She told me he was rich and important. And their relationship was a secret. Then one day, he set, across, see, he'd set sail across the Atlantic on some important journey, and he never came back. Lost at sea, my mom told me. Not dead. Lost at sea. She worked odd jobs, took night classes to get her high school diploma, and raised me on her own. She never complained or got mad, not even once, but I knew I wasn't an easy kid. Finally, she married Gabe Ugliano, who was nice the first 30 seconds we knew him, then showed his true colors as a world-class jerk. When I was young, I nicknamed him Smelly Gabe. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. The guy reeked like moldy garlic pizza wrapped in gym shorts. Between the two of us, we made my mom's life pretty hard. The way Smelly Gabe treated her, the way he and I got along, well, when I came home is a good example. I walked into our little apartment, hoping my mom would be home for work. Instead, Smelly Gabe was in the living room, playing poker with his buddies. The television blared ESPN. Chips and beer cans were strewn all over the carpet. Hardly looking up, he sat around his cigar. So you're home. Where's my mom? Working, he said. You got any cash? That was it. No welcome back. Good to see you. How's your life been the last six months? Gabe had put on weight. He looked like a tuskless walrus in thrift store clothes. He had about three hairs on his head, all combed over his bald scalp, as if that made him handsome or something. 
He managed the electronics mega mart in Queens, but he stayed home most of the time. I don't know why he had been he hadn't been fired long before. He just kept on collecting paychecks, spending the money on cigars that made me nauseous, and on beer, of course. Always beer. When I was home, he expected me to provide his gambling funds. He called that our guy secret, meaning if I told my mom, he would punch my lights out. I don't have any cash, I told him. He raised a greasy eyebrow. Gabe could sniff out money like a bloodhound, which was surprising since his own smell should have covered up everything else. You took a taxi from the bus station, he said. Probably paid with a 20, got six, seven bucks in change. Somebody expects to live under this roof. He ought, he ought to carry his own weight. Am I right, Eddie? Eddie, the super of the apartment building, looked at me with a twinge of sympathy. Come on, Gabe, he said. The kid just got here. Am I right? Gabe repeated. Eddie scowled into his bowl of pretzels. The other two guys passed gas in harmony. Fine, I said. I dug a wad of dollars out of my pocket and threw the money on the table. I hope you lose. Your report card came, brain boy, he shouted after after me. I wouldn't act so snooty. I slammed the door to my room, which really wasn't my room. During school months, it was Gabe's study. He didn't study anything in there except old car magazines, but he loved shoving my stuff in the closet, leaving his muddy boots on my windowsill, and doing his best to make the place smell like nast- his nasty cologne and cigars and stale beer. I dropped my suitcase on the bed. Home sweet home. Gabe's smell was almost worse than the nightmares about Mrs. Dodds or the sound of that old fruit lady's shears snipping the yarn. But as soon as I thought that, my legs felt weak. I remember Grover's look of panic, how he made me promise I wouldn't go home without him. A sudden chill rolled through me. I felt like someone, something was looking for me right now, maybe pounding its way up the stairs, growing long, horrible talons. Then I heard my mom's voice. Percy? She opened the bedroom door, and my fears melted. My mother can make me feel good just by walking into the room. Her eyes sparkle and change color in the light. Her smile is as warm as a quilt. She's got a few gray streaks mixed in with her long brown hair, but I never think of her as old. When she looks at me, it's like she's seeing all the good things about me, none of the bad. I've never heard her raise her voice or say an unkind word to anyone, not even me or Gabe. Oh, Percy, she hugged me tight. I can't believe it. You've grown since Christmas. Her red, white, and blue Sweet on America uniform smelled like the best things in the world. Chocolate, licorice, and all the other stuff she sold at the candy shop in Grand Central. She brought me a huge bag of free samples, the way she always did when I came home. We sat together on the edge of the bed. While I attacked the blueberry sour things, she ran her hand through my hair and demanded to know everything I hadn't put in my letters. She men- she didn't mention anything about my getting expelled. She didn't seem to care about that. But was I okay? Was her little boy doing alright? I told her she was smothering me and to lay off all and all that, but secretly I was really glad to really, really glad to see her. From the other room, Gabe yelled, Hey Sally, how about some bean dip, huh? I gritted my teeth. My mom is the nicest lady in the world. She should have been married to a millionaire, not to some jerk like Gabe. For her sake, I tried to sound upbeat about my last days at Yancey Academy. I told her I wasn't too down about the expulsion. I'd lasted almost the whole year this time. I'd made some new friends. I'd done really well, pretty well in Latin. And honestly, the fights hadn't been as bad as the headmaster said. I liked Yancey Academy. I really did. 
I had put such a good spin on the year. I almost convinced myself. I started choking up, thinking about Grover and Mr. Brunner. Even Nancy Bobafit suddenly seemed, didn't seem so bad. Until that trip to the museum. What? My mom asked. Her eyes tugged at my conscience, trying to pull out the secrets. Did something scare you? No, Mom. I feel bad lying. I wanted to tell her about Mrs. Dodds and the three old ladies with the yarn. But I thought it would sound stupid. She pursed her lips. She knew I was holding back, but she didn't push me. I have a surprise for you, she said. We're going to the beach. My eyes widened. Montauk? Three nights, same cabin. When? She smiled. As soon as I get changed. I couldn't believe it. My mom and I hadn't been to Montauk the last two summers because Gabe said there wasn't enough money. Gabe appeared in the doorway and growled, Bean dip, Sally, didn't you hear me? I wanted to punch him, but I met my mom's eyes and I understood she was offering me a deal. Be nice to Gabe for a little while, just until she was ready to leave for Montauk. Then we would get out of here. I was on my way, honey, she told Gabe. We were just talking about the trip. Gabe's eyes got small. The trip? You mean you were serious about that? I knew it, I muttered. He won't let us go. Of course he will, my mom said evenly. Your stepfather is just worried about money, that's all. Besides, she added, Gabriel won't have to settle for bean dip. I'll make him enough seven-layer dip for the whole weekend. Guacamole, sour cream, the works. Gabe softened a bit. So this money from for your trip comes out of your clothes budget, right? Yes, honey, my mother said. And you won't take my car anywhere but there and back. We'll be very careful. Gabe scratched his double chin. Maybe if you hurry with that seven-layer dip, and maybe if the kid apologizes for interrupting my poker game. Maybe if I kick you in your soft spot, I thought, and make you sing soprano for a week. But my eye, but, but my mom's eyes warned, not, warned me not to make him mad. Why did she put up with this guy? I wanted to scream. Why did she care what he thought? I'm sorry, I muttered. I'm really sorry I interrupted your incredibly important poker game. Please go back to it now. Gabe's eyes narrowed. His tiny brain was probably trying to detect sarcasm in my statement. Yeah, whatever. He went back to his game. Thank you, Percy, my mom said. Once we get to Montauk, we'll talk more about whatever you've forgotten to tell me, okay? For a moment, I thought I saw anxiety in her eyes, the same fear I'd seen in Grover during the bus ride, as if my mom too felt an odd chill in the air. But then her smile returned, and I figured I must have been mistaken. She ruffled my hair and went, went to make Gabe his seven-layer dip. An hour later, we were ready to leave. Gabe took a break from his poker game long enough to keep watch me lug my mom's bags to the car. He kept griping and groaning about losing her cooking, and more important, his 78 Camaro for the whole weekend. Not a scratch on this brain, boy. He warned me as I loaded the last bag. Not one little scratch. Like I'd be the one driving. I was 12, but that didn't matter to Gabe. If a seagull so much as pooped on his paint job, he'd find a way to blame me. Watching him lumber back toward the apartment building, I got so mad I did something I can't explain. As Gabe reached the doorway, I made the hand gesture I'd seen Grover make on the bus. A sort of warding off evil gesture. A clawed hand over my heart, and then a shoving movement toward Gabe. The screen door slammed shut so hard it whacked him in the butt and sent him flying up the staircase 
as if he'd been shot from a cannon. Maybe it was just the wind, or some freak accident with the hinges, but I didn't stay long enough to find out. I got in the Camaro and told my mom to step on it. Our rental cabin was on the south shore, way out, of, out at, at the tip of Long Island. It was a little pastel box with faded curtains, half sunken into the dunes. There were always sand in the sheets and spiders in the cabinets, and most of the time the sea was too cold to swim in. I loved the place. We'd been going there since I was a baby. My mom had been going even longer. She never exactly said, but I knew why the beach was special to her. It was a place where she'd met my dad. As we got closer to Montauk, she seemed to grow younger, years of worry and work disappearing from her face. Her eyes turned the color of the sea. We got there at sunset, opened all the cabin's windows, and went through our usual cleaning routine. We walked on the beach, fed blue corn chips to the seagulls, and munched on blue jelly beans, blue salt water taffy, and all the other free samples my mom had brought from work. I guess I should explain the blue food. See, Gabe had once told my mom there was no such thing. They had this fight, which seemed like a really small thing at the time. But ever since, my mom went out her way to eat blue. She baked blue birthday cakes. She mixed blue blueberry smoothies. She bought blue corn tortilla chips and brought home blue candy from the shop. This, along with keeping her maiden name Jackson rather than calling herself Mrs. Ugliano, was proof that she wasn't totally suckered by Gabe. She did have a rebellious streak, like me. When it got dark, we made a fire. We roasted hot dogs and marshmallows. Mom told me stories about when she was a kid, back before her, par- before her parents died in the plane crash. She told me about the book she wanted to write someday, when she had enough money to quit the candy shop. Eventually, I got up the nerve to ask what ab- about what was always on my mind whenever we came to Mom- Montauk. My father. Mom's eyes went all misty. I figured she wouldn't tell me the same things she always did, but I never got tired of hearing them. He was kind, Percy, she said, tall, handsome, and powerful, but gentle too. You have his black hair, you know, and his green eyes. Mom fished a blue jelly bean out of her candy bag. I wish he could see you, Percy. He would be so proud. I wonder how she could say that. What was so great about me? A dyslexic, hyperactive boy with a D-plus report card? Kicked out, of, kicked out of school for the sixth time in six years? How old was I? I asked. I mean, when he left. She watched the flames. He was only with me for one summer, Percy. Right here at this beach, this cabin. But he knew me as a baby. No, honey. He knew I was expecting a baby, but he never saw you. He had to leave before you were born. I tried to square that with the fact that I seemed to remember. Something about my father a warm glow, a smile. I had always assumed he knew me as a baby. My mom had never said it outright, but still I'd felt it must be true. Now to be told that he'd never even seen me? I felt angry at my father. Maybe it was stupid, but I resented him for going on that ocean voyage, for for, for not having the guts to marry my mom. He left us, and now we were stuck with smelly Gabe. Are you going to send me away again? I asked her. To another boarding school? She pulled a marshmallow from the fire. I don't know, honey. Her voice was heavy. I think... I think we'll have to do something. Because you don't want me around? I regretted the words as soon as they were out. My mom's eyes welled with tears. She took my hand, squeezed it tight. Oh, Percy, no. I I, I have to, honey, for your own good. 
I have to send you away. Her words reminded me of what Mr. Brunner had said. It was be- that it was best for me that it was best for me to leave Yancy because I'm not normal, I said. You say that as if it's a bad thing, Percy, but you don't realize how important you are. I thought Yancy Academy would be far enough away. I thought you'd be finally safe. Safe from what? She met my eyes, and a flood of memories came back to me. All the weird, scary things that ever happened to me, some of which I tried to forget. During third grade, a man in a black trench coat had stalked me on the playground. When the, trench, when the teachers threatened to call the police, he went away growling. But no one believed me when I told him that under his broad-brimmed hat, the man only had one eye, right in the middle of his head. Before that, a really early memory. I was in preschool and a teacher accidentally put me down for a nap in a cot that a snake had slithered into. My mom screamed when she came to pick me up and found me playing with a limp, scaly rope I'd somehow managed to strangle to death with my meaty toddler hands. In every single school, something creepy had happened, something unsafe, and I was forced to move. I knew I should tell my mom about the old ladies at the fruit stand and Mrs. Dodds at the art museum, about my weird hallucination that I had sliced my math teacher into dust with a sword. But I couldn't make myself tell her. I had a strange feeling the news would end our trip to Montauk, and I didn't want that. I've tried to keep you as close to me as I could, my mom said. They told me that was a mistake, but there's only one other option, Percy. The the place your father wanted to send you, and I I, I just can't stand to do it. My father wanted me to go to a special school? Not a school, she said softly. A summer camp. My head was spinning. Why would my dad, who hadn't even stayed around long enough to see me born, talk to my mom about a summer camp? And if it was so important, why hadn't she ever mentioned it before? I'm sorry, Percy, she said, seeing the look in my eyes. But I can't talk about it. I couldn't send you to that place. It might mean saying goodbye to you for good for good, but if it's only a summer camp. She turned toward the fire, and I knew from her expression that if I asked her any more questions, she would start to cry. That night, I had a vivid dream. It was storming on the beach, and two beautiful animals, a white horse and a golden eagle, were trying to kill each other at the edge of the surf. The eagle swooped down and slashed the horse's muzzle with its huge talons. The horse reared up and kicked at the eagle's wings. As they fought, the ground rumbled and a monstrous voice chuckled somewhere beneath the earth, goading the animals to fight harder. I ran toward them, knowing I had to stop them from killing each other, but I was running in slow motion. I knew I would be too late. I saw the eagle dive down, and its beak aimed at the horse's wide eye, and I screamed, No! I woke with a start. Outside, it really was storming. The kind of storm that cracks trees and blows down houses. There was no horse or eagle on the beach, just lightning making false daylight, and 20-foot waves pounding the dunes like artillery. With the next thunderclap, my mom woke. She sat up, eyes wide, and said, Hurricane. I knew that was crazy. Long Island never sees hurricanes this early in the summer, but the ocean seemed to have forgotten. Over the roar of the wind, I heard a distant bellow, an angry, tortured sound that made my hair stand on end. Then, a much closer noise, closer noise, like mallets in the sand, a desperate voice, like, 
someone yelling, pounding on our cabin door. My mother sprang out of bed in her nightgown and threw open the lock. Grover stood framed in the doorway against a backdrop of pouring rain. But he wasn't. He wasn't exactly Grover. Searching all night, he gasped. What were you thinking? My mother looked at me in terror, not scared of Grover, but of why he'd come. Percy, she said, shouting to be heard over the rain. What happened at school? Why didn't you tell me? I was frozen. Looking at Grover, I couldn't understand what I was seeing. He yelled. It's right behind me. Didn't you tell her? I was too shocked to register that he just cursed in ancient Greek, and I understood him perfectly. I was too shocked to wonder how Grover had gone here by himself in the middle of the night, because Grover didn't have his pants on, and where his legs should be, where his legs should be. My mom looked at me sternly and talked in a tone she'd never used before. Percy, tell me now. I stammered something about the old ladies at the fruit stand and Mrs. Dodds and my mom stared at me, her face deathly pale in the flashes of lightning. She grabbed her purse, tossed me my rain jacket and said, get to the car, both of you, go. Grover ran for the camera, but he wasn't running exactly. He was trotting, shaking his shaggy hindquarters and suddenly his story about a muscular disorder in his legs made sense to me. I understood how he could run so fast and still limp when he walked, because where his feet should be, there were no feet. There were cloven hooves. Wow, that was such an interesting chapter, and I, it would, it would be pretty weird to think how Percy is thinking right now, because his mom actually yelled at him for the first time, even though she has like a joyous and happy personality, and he just found out that his, you know, his, uh, best friend has hooves as feet so percy right now is probably in a very confused state and very shocked state and we will read chapter four right after these ads hello everyone and welcome back from the ads and now we are in chapter four my mother teaches me bullfighting We tore through the night along dark country roads. Wind slammed against the Camaro. Rain lashed the windshield. I didn't know how my mom could see anything, but she kept her foot on the gas. Every time there was a flash of lightning, I looked at Grover sitting next to me in the backseat, and I wondered if I had gone insane, or if he was wearing some kind of shag carpet pants. But no, the smell was one I remembered from kindergarten field trips to the petting zoo, lanolin like from a wool the smell of a wet barnyard animal all i could think to say was so you and my mom know each other grover's eyes flitted to the rear view mirror though there were no cars behind us not exactly he said i mean we never met in person but she knew i was watching you watching me keeping tabs on you making sure you were okay. But I wasn't faking being your friend, he added hastily. I am your friend. Um, what are you exactly? That doesn't matter right now. It doesn't matter? From the waist down, my best friend is a donkey. Grover let out a sharp, throaty blah. 
I've, I'd heard him make that sound before, but I'd always assumed it was a nervous laugh. Now I realized it was more of an irritated bleat. Goat, he cried. What? I'm a goat from the waist down. You just said it didn't matter. Blah! There are satires who would trample you under hoof for such an insult. Whoa, wait. Satires? You mean like Mr. Brenner's mitts? Were those old ladies at the fruit stand a myth, Percy? Was Mrs. Dodds a myth? So you admit there was a Mrs. Dodds? Of course. Then why? The less you knew, the fewer monsters you'd attract, Grover said. Like that should, like that should be perfectly obvious. We put mist over the human's eyes. We'd hope you'd think the kindly one was a hallucination, but it was no good. You started to realize who you are. Who? I... Wait a minute. What do you mean? The weird bellowing noise rose up again, somewhere behind us, closer than before. Whatever was chasing us was still on our trail. Percy, my mom said, there's too much to explain and not enough time. We have to get you to safety. Safety? From what? Who's after me? Oh, nobody much, Grover said. Obviously, he still miss- miffed about the donkey comet. Just the lord of the dead and a few of his bloodthirstiest minions. Grover! Sorry, Mrs. Jackson. Could you drive faster, please? I tried to wrap my mind around what was happening, but I couldn't do it. I knew this wasn't a dream. I had no imagination. I could never dream of something this weird. My mom made a hard left. We swerved onto a narrow road, racing past darkened farmhouses and wooded hills and pick-your-own strawberry signs on white picket fences. Where are we going? I asked. The summer camp I told you about. My mother's voice was tight. She was trying for my sake not to be scared. The place your father wanted to send you. The place the place you didn't want me to go? Please, dear, my mother begged. This is hard enough. Try to understand. You're in danger. Because some old ladies cut yarn. Those weren't old ladies, Grover said. Those were the fates. Do you know what it means? The fact that they appeared in front of you? That they only do that when you're about to do you're, when you're about to when someone's about to die. Whoa! You said you. No, I didn't. I said someone. You meant you, as in me. I meant you, like someone, not you, you. Boys, my mom said. She pulled the wheel hard to the right, and I got a glimpse of a figure she swerved to avoid. A dark, fluttering shape now lost behind us in the storm. What was that? I asked. We're almost there, my my mother said, ignoring my question. Another mile. Please, please, please. I didn't know where there was, but I found myself leaning forward in the car, anticipating, wanting us to arrive. Outside, nothing but rain and darkness, the kind of empty countryside you get way on the tip of Long Island. I thought about Mrs. Dodds at the moment when she changed into the thing with pointed teeth and leathery wings. My limbs went numb from delayed shock. She really, she really hadn't been human. She'd meant to kill me. Then I thought about Mr. Brunner and the sword he had thrown me. Before I could ask Grover about that, the hair rose on the back of my neck. There was a binding flash, a jaw-rattling boom, and our car exploded. I remember feeling weightless, like I was being crushed, fried, and hosed down all at the same time. I peeled my forehead off the back of my driver's seat and said, 
Ow. Percy! My mom shouted. I'm okay. I tried to shake off the daze. I wasn't dead. The car hadn't really exploded. We swerved into a, we swerved into a ditch. Our driver's side doors were wedged in, in the mud. The roof had cracked open like an eggshell and rain was pouring in. Lightning. That was the only explanation. We'd been blasted right off the road. Next to me in the backseat was a big motionless lump. Grover! He was slumped over, blood trickling from the side of his mouth. I shook his furry hip thinking, no, even if you are half barnyard animal, you're my best friend and I don't want you to die. Then he groaned, food. And I knew there was hope. Percy, my mother said, we have to, her voice faltered. I looked back. In a flash of lightning through the mud-spattered rear windshield, I saw a figure lumbering toward us on the shoulder of the road. The sight of it made my skin crawl. It was a dark silhouette of a huge guy, like a football player. He seemed to be holding a blanket over his head. His top half was bulky and fuzzy. His upraised hands made it look like he had horns. I swallowed hard. Who is... Percy, my mother said, deadly serious. Get out of the car. My mother threw herself against the driver's side door. It was jammed shut in the mud. I tried mine too, stuck too. I looked up desperately at the hole in the roof. It might be an, it might have been an exit, but the edges were sizzling and smoking. Climb out of the passenger side, my mother told me. Percy, you have to run. Do you see that big tree? What? Another flash of lightning, and through the smoking hole in the roof, I saw the tree she meant. A huge white house Christmas tree-sized pine at the crest of the nearest hill. That's the property line, my mom said. Get over that hill and you'll see a big farmhouse down in the valley. Run and don't look back. Yell for help. Don't stop until you reach the door. Mom, you're coming too. Her face was pale, her eyes as sad as when she looked at the ocean. No, I shouted. You are coming with me. Help me carry Grover. Food. Grover moaned a little louder. The man with the blanket on his head kept coming toward us, making his grunting, snorting noises. As he got closer, I realized he couldn't be holding a blanket over his head because his hands, huge meaty hands, were swinging at his sides. There was no blanket, meaning the bulky, fuzzy mass that was way too big to be his head was his head and that the points that look like horns he doesn't want us my mother told me he wants you besides i can't cross the property line but we don't have time percy go please i got mad then mad at my mother at grover the goat at the thing with horns that was lumbering toward us slowly and deliberately like like a bull i climbed across grover and pushed the door open into the rain we're going together Come on, Mom. I told you. Mom, I'm not leaving you. Help me with Grover. I didn't wait for her to answer. For her answer. I scrambled outside, dragging Grover from the car. He was surprisingly light, but I couldn't have carried him very far if my mom hadn't come to my aid. Together, we draped Grover's arms around over our shoulders and started stumbling uphill through wet waist high grass. Glancing back, I got my first clear look at the monster. He was seven feet tall, easy his arms and legs like something from the cover of Muscle Man magazine, bulging biceps and triceps and a bunch of other steps, all stuffed like baseballs under vein-webbed skin. He wore no clothes except underwear. I mean bright white, fruit of the looms, which would have looked funny except the top half of his body was so scary. 
coarse brown hair started about at about his belly button and got thicker as it reached his shoulders. His neck was a mass of muscle and fur leading up to his enormous head, which had a snout as long as my arm, snotty nostrils with a gleaming brass ring, cruel black eyes and horns, enormous black and white horns with points you, ju- you just couldn't get from an electric sharpener. I recognized the monster. All right, he had been in one of the first stories Mr. Brunner had told us, but he couldn't be real. I blinked the rain out of my eyes. That's Pacifay's son, my mother said. I wish I'd known how badly they want to kill you, but he's the min- Don't say his name, she warned. Names have power. The pine tree was still way too far, a hundred yards uphill at least. I glanced behind me again. The bullman hunched over our car, looking in the windows, or not looking exactly. More like snuffling, nuzzling, I wasn't sure why he bothered, since we were only about fifty feet away. Food? Grover moaned. Shh, I told him. Mom, what's he doing? Doesn't he see us? His sight and hearing are terrible, she said. He goes by smell, but he'll figure out where we are soon enough. As if on cue, the bullman bellowed in rage. He picked up Gabe Camaro's by the torn roof, the chassis creaking and groaning. He raised the car over his head and threw it down the road. It slammed into the wet asphalt and skidded in a shower of sparks for about half a mile before coming to a stop. The gas tank exploded. Not a scratch, or not a scratch, I remembered Gabe saying. Oops. Percy, my mom said, when he sees us, he'll charge. Wait until the last second, then jump out of the way, directly sideways. He can't change directions very well once he's charging. Do you understand? How do you know all this? I've been worried about an attack for a long time. I should have expected this. I was selfish, keeping you near me. Keeping me near you? But another bellow of rage, and the bullman started tromping uphill. He'd smell us. He'd smelled us. The pine tree was only a few more yards, but the hill was getting steeper and slicker, and Grover wasn't getting any lighter. The bullman closed in. Another few seconds and he'd be on top of us. My mother must have been exhausted, but she shouldered Grover. Go, Percy! Separate! Remember what I said? I didn't want to split up, but I had the feeling she was right. It was our only chance. I sprinted to the left, turned, and saw the creature bearing down on me. His black eyes glowed with hate. He reeked like rotten meat. He lowered his head and charged. Those razor-sharp horns aimed straight at my chest. The fear in my stomach made me want to bolt, but that wouldn't work. I could never outrun this thing, so I held my ground, and at the last moment, I jumped to the side. The bullman stormed past like a freight train, then bellowed with frustration in turn, but not toward me this time, toward my mother, who was setting Grover down in the grass. We'd reached the crest of the hill. Down the other side, I could see a valley, just as my mother had said, and the lights of a farmhouse glowing yellow through the rain. But that was half a mile away. We'd never make it. The bull, male, the bull man grunted, pawing the ground. He kept eyeing my mother, who was now retreating slowly downhill, back toward the road, trying to lead the monster away from Grover. Run, Percy, she told me. I can't go any farther. Run! But I just stood there, frozen in fear as the monster charged her. 
She tried to sidestep as he, she told me to do, but the monster had learned his lesson. His hand shot out and grabbed her by the neck as she tried to get away. He lifted her as she struggled, kicking and pummeling the air. Mom! She caught my eyes, managed to choke out one last word. Go! Then, with an angry roar, the monster closed his fists around my mother's neck, and she dissolved before my eyes, melting into light, a shimmering golden form as if she were a holographic projection, a blinding flash, and she was simply gone. No! Anger replaced my fear. Newfound strength burned in my limbs, the same rush of energy I'd gotten when Mrs. Dodds grew talons. The bullman bore down on Grover, who was who lay helpless in the grass. The monster hunched over, snuffling my best friend, as if he were about to lift Grover up and make him dissolve too. I couldn't allow that. I stripped off my red rain jacket. Hey! I screamed, waving the jacket running to one side of the monster. Hey, stupid! Ground beef! Rah! The monster turned toward me, shaking his meaty fists. I had an idea. A stupid idea but better than no idea at all. I put my back to the big pine tree and waved my red jacket in front of the bullman, thinking I'd jump out of the way at the last moment, but it didn't happen like that. The bullman charged too fast, his arms out to grab me whichever way I tried to dodge. Time slowed down, my legs tensed, I couldn't jump sideways, so I leaped straight up, kicking off from the creature's head, using it as a springboard, turning in midair and landing on his neck. How did I do that? I didn't have time to figure it out. A millisecond later, the monster's head slammed into the tree and the impact nearly knocked my teeth out. The bullman staggered around, trying to shake me. I locked my arms around his horns to keep from being thrown. Thunder and lightning were still going strong. The rain was in my eyes. The smell of rotten meat burned my nostrils. The monster shook himself around and bucked like a rodeo bull. He should have just backed up into the tree and smashed me flat, but I was starting to realize that his that this thing had only one gear, forward. Meanwhile, Grover started groaning in the grass. I wanted to yell at him to shut up, but the way I was getting tossed around, if I opened my mouth, I'd bite my own tongue off. Food! Grover moaned. The bullman wheeled toward him, pawed the ground again, and got ready to charge. I thought about how he'd squeezed the life out of my mother, made her disappear in a flash of light, and rage filled me like high-octane fuel. I got both hands around one horn, and I pulled backward with all my might. The mother tensed, monsters tensed, gave a surprised gun, then snap. The bullman screamed and flung me through the air. I landed flat on my back in the grass. My head smacked against a rock. When I sat up, my vision was blurry, but I had a horn in my hand, a ragged bone weapon the size of a knife. The monster charged. Without thinking, I rolled to one side and came up kneeling. As the monster barreled past, I drove the broken horn straight into his side, right up his furry ribcage. The bullman roared in agony. He flailed, clawing at his chest, then began to disintegrate, not like my mother, in a flash of golden light. But like crumbling sand blowing away, blown away in chunks by the wind, the same way Mrs. Dodds had burst apart. The monster was gone. The rain had stopped. The storm still rumbled. But only in the distance, I smelled like livestock and my knees were shaking. My, held, my head felt like it was splitting open. I was weak and scared and trembling with grief. 
I just seen my mother vanish. I wanted to lie down and cry, but there was Grover, needing my help, so I managed to haul him up and stagger down into the valley, toward the lights of the, of the farmhouse. I was crying, calling for my mother, but I held on to Grover. I wasn't going to let him go. The last thing I remember is collapsing on a wooden porch, looking up at a ceiling fan circling above me, moths flying around a yellow light, and the stern faces of a familiar-looking bearded man and a pretty girl. Her blonde hair curled like a princess's. They both looked down at me, and the girl said, He's the one. He must be. Silence, Annabeth, the man said. He's still conscious. Bring him inside. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of episode or episode two and the end of, end of chapter four. Man, that was such an awesome fight. Like, the way he got on top of the, uh, the Minotaur and how he, uh, his mom and he, like, fought together and how his mom is just, you know, sacrificing herself just to make her son safe. It was awesome, and how the anger, like, came, went into his blood and started making him get mad. It was a very good chapter, and I feel like that fight was one of the best fights I have read so far in this book, and I feel like there are more yet to come. And I hope you guys also enjoyed this episode, and be sure to check back next week for the next episode as I read chapters 5 and 6, and I hope you stay out of boredom and... Have fun.